Craig was over at the house and we were flipping through some magazines and just passing the time and I flipped over a page where it advertised a watch for $88,000. So I folded the magazine, handed it to Craig and suggested he get me that for Father's Day. $88,000. Then we started telling stories about what we would do if we had an $88,000 watch. And the answer is, not much. Right? I certainly wouldn't wear the thing. I would maybe have it under glass at the house, and you could come by and look at my watch. Couldn't touch it. Not at $88,000. No, you don't touch it. You know, you just look at it. What in the world do you do for $88,000? And who is the guy who says, oh, there's the watch I've been looking for? And it's only $88,000. Who does that? And then we started laughing. If he called me and said, Dad, one of your grandchildren needs surgery, and we've got to have $88,000. No sweat, son. Tell him you're good. When I hung out the phone, Jeannie would say, we don't have $88,000. And I would say, her, we will when the check clears. I don't have $88,000 for a watch. I've got $88,000 and more if they need it. If it's for my grandkids. You see, it's not about the money, is it? it never is. It's always about what you love. What's most important. Maybe that's why we get so nervous when we talk about giving in church. Because the real question isn't how much you give. It's how much you love. So Paul reminds the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Now, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. And not just we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, that he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I am not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. I am testing the genuineness of your love. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Like the Corinthians, 
we desire to excel in everything. Help us, Lord Jesus, excel in the grace of generosity. And we pray this in your name. Amen. The church in Jerusalem was in trouble. There was a famine in Jerusalem. People were going hungry. People couldn't find food. And as a minority, as an ostracized minority, a group that had been pushed to the fringe of Jerusalem society and culture, the young church was struggling more than everybody else in Jerusalem. Paul heard about this. And Paul saw an opportunity. The mother church is hurting. The mother church is hungry. Now it's time for all of the children to step up and help mama. He saw it as a testimony of unity. All of us who are saved by Christ, Jew and Gentile alike, are brothers and sisters to each other and share our suffering. If you're hungry, then I'm hungry. If you're thirsty, then I'm thirsty. If you're going through a tough time, I'm going through a tough time. We share that. So he saw an opportunity that he would raise money among the Gentile churches, the churches he had founded, church in Philippi, the Macedonians, the Corinthian church, the other churches, and he would raise money and take it to Jerusalem as a testimony of unity. We love you as our mother church. We love you as our founding church. We love you in Christ. And because you are hurting, we want to share in your sufferings and provide for you some means to take care of yourself. And the Jewish church would then celebrate the Gentile Christians and the work of Christ that they had seen in the Gentile church by providing for their needs. Now, Mother Church is in trouble. Paul is not above introducing a little sibling rivalry into this conversation. I told the churches in Macedonia how generous you were. Now I'm coming to pick up the collection. Don't disappoint me. Don't make me look bad in front of the Macedonians because when I told them did you notice what Paul said? Their poverty overflowed. What? How does that happen? Now I know Paul is, 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 is used to exciting language and, and stretching it every now and then. But how in the world does poverty overflow? I mean, the first thing you learn in math class is anything times zero is zero. So if you have more of nothing, how does that happen? Because poverty, poverty relates to stuff. That's all. What Paul is talking about is a different way of living. So that even in your poverty, you will find ways to be generous. They've done studies. People would 
pretend to be homeless and spend the night on the streets. And what they would find out is the most generous people to them were other homeless people. People who didn't have much, who didn't have anything at all, were the most generous to those who needed some. Paul said, that's the church in Philippi. They gave first themselves. First themselves. We remind you all the time that the offering time is a symbolic moment. For what it tells us is that you have first given yourself. You have first given everything you are and everything you have in response to what God has given to us in Christ Jesus. We respond. And we respond by giving. And we give what we have. Notice Jesus never asked for what you don't have. Okay, we do this all the time. Boy, if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, this is what I do. I don't have a million dollars. What about the 20 in your pocket? What about the $100 you do have? He never asks for what you don't have. Two. He never demands an amount or a percentage. Never demands an amount or a percentage. We don't pass around the plate and say only hundreds accepted. You give as you can, you give what you can. Okay? Never ask for what you don't have, never puts anything, any kind of limit on it. It's always a response. When you are loved, you want to love back. When you love back, you want to give something. You want to show that by giving something. Uh, little boys uh, will grab dandelions, pull them up out of the yard, and take the flowers into their mother's. I brought you something and it's going to put dandelions all over the yard. But this was pretty mama and I wanted you to have it. Totally unscripted, totally unprompted. I want to give you something because I love you. It's what love asked me to do. It's what love wants me to do. It's never about an amount. It's never about a percentage. Now, you're saying, well, you always talk about 10%. Where is that? Where is that in the Bible? It goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham is given a great victory by God. He meets a priest right after that battle, and he gives 10% of everything that he has won in that battle. He gives it to the priest in celebration. From that, we have the tithe, the 10%, and we use that as kind of a marker, a baseline. Okay? Now, understand. It is just a number to help you get started. It's not a legal thing. Jesus isn't going to ask to see your tax returns. Okay? It's not about that. It's just a way to get it started. Uh, a, a way to get the confidence. A way to give you some kind of, uh, of, of, of marker that you can say, okay, we are, we are achieving this.
the real thing you have to ask is what does it say about your love? Oh, it's a thought that counts. Why is it the only time you hear that is when you get a lousy gift? You ever notice that? Somebody gives you a lousy gift and they say, well, it's a thought that counts. Yeah, and you didn't think much, did you? <laughs> if you love, you'll find a way to give. You'll find a way. A little boy brings a lunch, gives it to Jesus. Now, <clears throat> we always celebrate, boy, look what God, Jesus did with this little boy's lunch. It was five loaves and two fish. Look what Jesus did. He fed all these people. What about that little boy when the disciples take his lunch and he's going, that's my lunch. All right? You've had, you've been in, in elementary school. You've had the bully take your lunch. Now you can't eat. Now, oh, Mike, there was a miracle. Yeah, but that's later. He didn't know that at the time. He just knew that big fella there took my lunch and left him with nothing so that he could get more than he could carry and everybody else be fed. But for a moment there, it was a little boy and his lunch. A woman's life is changed by Jesus, and she doesn't know how to tell him. She can't find the words. So she comes up behind him when he is stretched out at dinner. In the time of Jesus, you ate laying down. You would lean on your left elbow, and you would eat with your right hand. Your feet would be extended away from the table. And this woman that John tells us about finds Jesus, cracks open a jar of perfume that was her entire net worth. And anointed his feet, not his head as was custom. She only felt worthy to anoint his feet for what he had done. When she realized what Jesus had done for her, when she understood what Jesus had changed for her, when she wanted to give back, she grabbed the most expensive, rarest thing she had and said in her heart, he is worth it. If this is the only thing I do with this, he is worth it. Everybody in the room thought she was crazy. Everybody except Jesus. Make no mistake about it, he says. I'm testing your love. This is what the Macedonians did. This is what the, Philipp the Philippian church did. Now, what are you going to do? Question. How much do you love Jesus? 
when you sit quietly and think through all he has done and all he is doing, how much do you love Jesus? What do you have that you would give to him to give him some expression, some understanding, this is how much I love you. Oh, it's never, it's never a grand gift. It's never, it's never Some of you, when you were first married, were dead broke. Okay? Dead broke. Don't have any money, don't know where the next money's coming in. Okay? Some of you started there. And in your house is a trinket of what your husband made for you the first Christmas when you couldn't buy each other Christmas presents. And you still have it. All these years of marriage, you still have it. And if the house caught fire, that would be what you saved out of your house. Why? Because on that Christmas morning that you opened it and you saw what your husband had done, you finally began to see how much he loves you by the time and effort he had put in that gift. Didn't have money, had time, had effort, and that's what he gave you. And that's what you have. You wouldn't trade it for anything. What do you have now that would testify, bear witness to how much you love Jesus? That's the question. Not percentage. Not amount. I'm asking about your love. Because God in his grace lets us help. You're Christmas shopping with the boys. And for the first time they're bringing their own money. You find Jeannie's present, they want to help. So they're big boys now, they put their money on the counter and they help. Not really, they just make it harder to figure out everything because well, it, it costs this and now we're gonna subtract $2 and add that one. But I make a big deal. That's great, your mom will love this. And when we opened it Christmas morning, look mama, I bought this. Yeah, you did. Got to help. In his mercy and his grace, Jesus lets us help. We're part of a new church that's going in at Avenue South. 
people will find that place. People who are walking their children by that place now are now seeing that construction going. I wonder what's going to be in there. And when it opens, maybe we need to go there. Now, Jesus didn't need our help to reach those people, but he's letting us help. He's letting us show how much we love him by being part of that next church. Oh, I know. I've been a Baptist a long time. I've been a Baptist preacher a long time. I know how to get the offering. I'm good at that. I can show you pictures of babies and hold you over hell like a marshmallow. That works for a while, doesn't it? But in this moment, when it's just you, it's just Jesus. And you say, I need to show you how much I love you. I need to show you how grateful I am. What do you give? How do you answer that sentence? I don't give this to you as command. But this is a test of your love. Let's pray together. I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't want to embarrass you at all. That is never, never my intention. What I do want is to give you time to think. Now, some of you are like me. You grew up in the church. You know Jesus. You you love Jesus. It's just kind of who you are. You almost take this moment, this relationship for granted. But your life has become cluttered, busy. This is a moment of clarity. This is a moment of reaffirmation. This is, this is what I know Jesus has done for me. And because of that, here is what I want to give back. For some of you, it's the first time you've thought about it. It's the first time you have thought about what Jesus gave. And on, on the day that Jesus was asked, how much do you love? your people, he gave his own life. Now, maybe you've got questions about that. Maybe you don't know what to do with that. That's fine. Our counselors are waiting for you now in the Welcome Center. Head out of here, turn left, you'll see the Welcome Center. Don't leave here without having your questions answered. Perhaps your next step is to become part of the mission of Brentwood Baptist Church. We'd love to have you part of our family. Go to the Welcome Center. Let's get that started. However the Lord has come to you now, he's waiting for you where you are.
the church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray now the decisions are exactly what you want.